This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 23, 32-43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Well, it's pretty cool that we get to be in this interesting space today, isn't it? We've got some art on the walls around us. Uh, anything stand out as you kind of look around? We've got a nice nature scene here up at the front. Let's take a moment and look at the art around us. Got this scene from the lake shore entitled Winter Beach. Anybody know what that orange thing is? A balloon. A balloon. All right. I think you're right. At first I was like, is that someone's head? There's nobody there. Well, a good painting uh, draws us in, right? A good painting can draw us in and we can just kind of look at it for a while. And just there's a lot of layers going on. And, and a good painting will also draw something out of us, right? It will evoke something, an emotion, a memory, a thought. Well, artists have long contemplated, what does God look like? What does God look like? Can you think of any paintings of God? Say one if you can think of one. The guy with the beard. The guy with the beard, okay. The guy with the beard. Anything more precise? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus laughing? Yeah. There you go. He's older, wiser. Older, wiser. So I often think of um, the Sistine Chapel, right? The creation of Adam. And that's the painting where God is sort of the swirling stuff around him and some cherubs and whatnot. He's reaching out, right? 
And then Adam is laying there naked, and he's reaching for God. And it's this iconic picture of humanity and divinity really reaching for each other. But of course, in that painting, God is an old white man. I think, you know, often when we ask people, what does God look like? That's an image that comes to mind, right? And it's not surprising that art might help us have a view like that. That's actually one of the two most replicated religious paintings in history. Anybody know what the other one is? Yes, Da Vinci, The Last Supper. Things are good. Things are good. <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul also had this question, uh, what does God look like? And in Colossians 1.15, he says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus. And so according to Paul, if we're wondering what God looks like, we simply have to look at Jesus. And this is one of the central claims, right, of the Christian faith, that God dwelled within the person of Jesus. It's a claim that gives me a lot of hope, but also leaves me with a number of questions. One question is, if Jesus is what God looks like, what exactly have we been looking at? What have we been looking at? I think as people look around and think of Christians or the church, they often don't also think of Jesus. It's a little unfortunate. And so what have we been looking at or have we even been looking? Well, a common understanding of Jesus is that he simply came to die so that God could forgive us. And that is kind of the short version of who Jesus was and what he was about. And in fact, uh, the theologian Anselm in the year 1098, this is some 500 years before Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel, so almost a thousand years ago, he wrote a little treatise called Cur Deus Homo, Why God Became Man. And his understanding was that humanity had so sinned, so violated the honor of God that they needed a perfect offering, a perfect sacrifice in order to appease God's wrath in order to make things right. But it had to be a perfect offering. Well, that presented a challenge because people aren't perfect, so how can they do that? He says, well, that's where God himself comes in. So God decides to come into human form, and now we've got a perfect human, and so God, in a way, is offering himself what God is asking for. And so Jesus becomes reduced to this little piece in a formula to ensure cosmic salvation. I remember being at a conversation, a public theology conversation some years ago uh, up north in Traverse City, and I think one of the questions was, um, what was the purpose of Jesus' life? And I was talking with this gentleman, I think I was drinking an IPA, and he had an amber or something, which should have been my first clue. Um, <laughs> uh, so he answered this question, why, what was the purpose of Jesus' life? He said, well, Jesus, the purpose of Jesus' life was to die. That's it. The only reason he came was to die. I said, really? But what about his teachings? What about his life? What about all that stuff he did? Eh, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He, he, God needed him to die. We needed him to die. 
and that was the whole that was the only thing. And as I thought about where does someone get a view like that, well we which perhaps I helped myself at one time, we can look to one of the major creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed. Right? Which says Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. There's, there's all you need to know about Jesus in the Creed. Right? He was born, suffered, died. You think at least walking on water would have made it or something, right? Or love your neighbor as yourself. Something, right? And so, as I see it, that appears to me to be a partial or incomplete painting, let's say, of Jesus. A distorted lens. And really, how we see and what we see matters. It matters. The story is told of this 94-year-old grandmother who was in a nursing home in Brooklyn, New York, and her grandkids come and visit her, and it's this beautiful afternoon. It's this beautiful afternoon. And they come up, she's, you know, some floors up, and my grandma, isn't this such a lovely afternoon? And she looks out the window and says, it looks like a gray day to me. And the grandkids are like, no, it's really, it's beautiful. I just, you really can't see it because your window hasn't been cleaned in a while. And she says, got a dirty eye, see a dirty world. Right? So the lenses we're using can shape the reality that we think we're seeing. And if Jesus is one of our best pictures of God, then it seems pretty darn important that we take a closer look. Could be that the window is smudged or the painting isn't quite finished and we've been seeing him all wrong. Verse 32 in our text says, Two other men, both criminals, were also let out of them to be executed. When we read a text like this, we often think these criminals crucified on either side of Jesus were like robbers. Thieves of some sort, right? One guy took somebody's donkey, and the other guy stole somebody's walking stick, or, I don't know, they didn't have laptops to steal. Uh, right? But we think of robbers, right? And they, well, they did something bad, and so they're going to pay for it. And then we think of Jesus in the middle um, being perfect, right? He, he was up there sort of accidentally. Right? He didn't deserve to be there. And in fact, we see that in our text when one of them says, uh, we are punished justly for we get what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And I wonder if that's perhaps the gospel writer also trying to paint a certain picture of who Jesus is. And interestingly, that's not in the earliest gospel, the gospel of Mark, that little line. And so I think we need to probe a little deeper. The word translated criminals in many of our texts is the word leste, which could be translated bandits, but it was often used in literature at the time to refer to guerrilla fighters against Rome. Guerrilla fighters. Freedom fighters, or we might call them terrorists today. According to historians Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, Crucifixion was, was used specifically for people who systematically refused to accept Roman imperial authority. Ordinary criminals were not crucified. So these guys on either side of Jesus are not just thieves. 
They say Jesus is executed as a rebel against Rome between two other rebels against Rome. We often think, well, Rome, they just kind of accidentally killed Jesus. He really was innocent, and they killed him so that God could save everyone. No, they didn't crucify people by accident. They only crucified you if you were a thorn in their side. And so when God comes among us, what does it look like? It looks like a man naked and bleeding with his arms outstretched, resisting the powers, exposing injustice, healing the wounded, eating with the outcasts, and offering forgiveness with his very last breath. That is amazing to me. To do that hard work of standing up to an opposing power and saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. To cross lines that are going to make people angry and say, hey, who's eating with sinners? He's hanging out with the wrong people. In our text says he's mocked and he's sneered, sneered at. And as they're killing him, he's not filled with anger. He's not filled with hatred. He's not saying, God, strike them all dead. He's saying to the very end, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is a love and a forgiveness that blows my mind. That is amazing. And that is at least a little bit more of the image of the invisible God that I believe Scripture invites us to see. In the book of Awakening, I came across the story of a young divinity student from Kansas City who was studying theology and training to be a minister. The year was about 1910. And while he's studying, he is struck with a bout of diphtheria, which leaves him paralyzed. And some voice, perhaps from deep within, or maybe it was his doctor, says, why don't you think about trying out dance? And so of all things, he begins to take up dance. And so with great difficulty, he quits his theological studies, he quits divinity school, and he begins to dance. And slowly and miraculously, he regains the use of his legs. And not only that, he goes on to be one of the greatest dancers of his generation. In fact, many refer to this guy as the father of modern dance. This is the story of a man named Ted Sean. And what's interesting to note is that studying God did not heal him, but embodying God did. So I think it's important for us to know, not only is Jesus this incredible picture of God, but he's not the only picture of God that God wants the world to see. He's inviting us to be a canvas on which he can paint a picture of him or herself. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God. This was written after Jesus came on the scene, by the way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one can see God. 
people can see God in us. And so we can have the best and purest theology in the world, right? We can have the best picture of Jesus that we can come up with. And I think that's important. And believe me, I've spent some time on that. And I think that matters, right? But if we stop there, it doesn't matter. We're invited to join the dance. We're invited to walk along in his footsteps. And so friends, let us dance and let us sing and let us serve and let us protest and advocate and work together for love because that will be a painting that is beautiful and compelling and needed. Amen. Namaste.
place, may you know that the world is too beautiful to be praised by only one voice or only one painting. And so may you have the courage to sing your part. And may, re may we remember that the world is too broken to be healed by only one set of hands. And so may we have the courage to use our gifts. And as you go, may the light of God shine upon you and in you and through you. Amen. And go in peace. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.